Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. So we, you know, it's interesting. We've been praising the Lord today, and it's been like exciting. We're like, man, thank you for grace and, and that sort of thing. Let me... Uh, Put a damper on all that. Let me let me ask so just real real questions here, and you don't have to raise your hand physically uh, if you don't want to. I'll raise mine. Uh, I don't I don't mind, uh, but maybe mentally raise your hand if if this applies to you. Have you ever? You know, it already applies to Bella. Thank you, Bella. Uh, have you have you ever been in a position where you hid or maybe downplayed that you're a Christian? Because in that social situation, there might have been a little pressure if you were a Christian, or maybe even persecution if people found out that you're a Christian, especially if you're like a real Jesus-y kind of Christian, you know? Uh, maybe mentally, raise your hand. I, I can, I'll, I'll raise my hand, right? Like, um, uh, Have you maybe been in a situation where you've walked away from Jesus or turned your back on Jesus or something that Jesus teaches because you knew if you did so, there'd be something that you saw as good come your way, something pleasurable come your way, something that was beneficial come your way by turning kind of a, a, a blind eye or a deaf ear or maybe turn your back on Jesus or his teachings. Ever, ever Anybody besides, besides me? Well, I'm glad you're all here. Uh, the Bible is going to speak to two people, about two people, specifically like that. Uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, it applies right here, right now, today. Who knew, who knew that uh, people are people, right? Who knew that God would write a book, and that would apply to us right here, right now. And so last time we got together, we were looking at the, what we, the church knows now as the Lord's Supper. Jesus had gathered with his closest followers, what we call them, the apostles, the 12 disciples, and he had talked about, um, he was observing the Passover meal, the Jewish Passover meal, and he had began to discuss his coming death. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm going away, I'm not going to be with you anymore. And he also talked about how the disciples should treat one another when he leaves. And not only did he talk about that, he demonstrated that by getting up and taking off his outer garment, getting on his knees, and washing their nasty feet. He took the position of the lowest servant in the house and washed the feet of his disciples. And then we left off with Jesus telling the disciples that as he has done, so should they do to one another. They're supposed to serve each other the way that Jesus, God in the flesh now, has humbled himself to serve them. Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, right? That, that's what Jesus is teaching. Was He's saying, so you disciples, you need to do this. And this is a really weird thing happened in the text. He says, I know that one of you will not, will not serve in that way. In fact, one of you will betray me, Jesus says. What? Here's this beautiful time. He, he's instituting uh, a new covenant. He bows down and washes feet, tells them to serve how he served. And he turns and he looks at them and says, one of you 
here is going to betray me. Um, and he's predicting this ahead of time so that when it happens, they'll know, hey, he's the Messiah. He knows the future. He predicted it. We should listen to what else he has to say. Right? So we pick up in John chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles with you today. John chapter 13. And we pick up in verse uh, 21. And I'm old, so I have to take off my glasses to read. How weird is that? Uh, John chapter 13. Verses 21 through uh, 38, through the end of the chapter. And you can follow along in your copy of the Word of God. I'm reading from the ESV, and that'll be on the screen. But whatever, whatever you have, let's read that together. Um, so after saying these things, John says, like after Jesus saying, serve one another, and one of you is going to betray me, uh, that's those sort of things. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the the disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what, are you, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew what he, why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Um, this is an amazing piece of scripture. I was talking with James earlier this week. It's weird. It's talking about serving and loving, and one of y'all is going to betray me. And then it talks about serving and loving again, and he says it again. Another one of you is going to deny me three times. It's such a weird mix. Well, it's it's an historical account, so John's just recording what happened. But it's this mixture, this tension, this weirdness that Jesus is pointing to 
among his disciples. And, and I'm telling you, you know, I said before, we, we raised our hands either physically or kind of in our, in our minds, whether we have been deniers and betrayers of Jesus in our lives, uh, in our thoughts, in our deeds, or in our motives, maybe. Um, I said that this passage is applicable to all of us, and it is. It's timeless. It's universal because it applies to all people everywhere all the time. There's something we need to know about ourselves. Humans, we are uh, a dual exposure. How many of you are old enough to remember when cameras had film? Right? And, and it, it didn't advance the film by itself. You had to do it. Right? So back in the day, uh, here's how it works. You had to put like this plastic stuff in a, fi- in a camera called film. And when you opened the shutter by clicking the button, light came in and burned an image onto that film. And what you had to do was then, had this little scroll thing with your thumb usually, you had to scroll the film over so that the next picture you took wasn't taken on top of the previous one. That would be a dual exposure and mess up your picture. Two pictures on top of one another. That's a dual exposure. That's what we are. That's what human beings are. So first, the first exposure, there's two, kind of two truths that we have at the same time. First is we're made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God for a special relationship with God, not only as creature and creator, right, but also to be sons and daughters of the King of heaven and earth. That's what you're made for. That's the first image. That's the image that you're made in, the image of God and for those purposes. Now, we love to talk about that, right? It unites humanity. It gives us a reason to praise God. It tells us what our real purpose for existence is. It's for Him and in Him and through Him and by Him and for His glory. And we receive joy and deep-seated hope, even in the toughest times when we talk about that reality. That's the truth. We like to talk about that. There's another part that we don't like to talk about, the, other, the dual exposure that's kind of laid over that image of God that's on us. The image of God has not been erased from us. We still have it, but it's been effaced. There's another exposure, and that's the exposure of sin. Our, because we are fallen from that original creation, our default setting, if you're from Oakley, that's default. Your default setting... If you're from where I'm from, it's default, right? But our, our default setting is that we are not in that special relationship with God as sons and daughters. We are still made in His image, but our default setting is we are not in that special relationship of being sons and daughters. Now, we don't like to talk about that part. That's the uncomfortable part. That's the uncomfortable part when we as uh, Christians are trying to communicate the message of Jesus, the gospel, to the world. That, yeah, we are all one human family, but we're not all one spiritual family. That could be a difficult thing to talk to, uh, to talk about, um, and for our sort of postmodern ears to hear. Um, now, I'll skip it a whole stack. Inside the church, then, inside the spiritual family of God, we still have times when we are betrayers of Jesus. Am I telling the truth? I hate to say it, but it's true of me. 
And I'm telling you, if you're a human being in here, and I, I think all of us are, it's also true of you. Even inside this family of God, we still have times where we deny Jesus or shun Jesus or turn our backs on Jesus in our thoughts, deeds, or motives. Um, so back here in our text, we realize that like Peter, like Judas, there are times when we are all sellouts. We're all sellouts. So imagine this scene. Again, it's, it's really, really odd. Um, Jesus, again, serves in humility, these 12 disciples. Judas then leaves to betray Jesus, to have Jesus murdered. Right? He's going to go through a mock trial, and then he's going to be murdered. And then Jesus gives a direct order to the true disciples who remain in the room, verses 34 and 35. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then it is so bizarre, he turns to Peter and says, you will deny me three times before the sun comes up tomorrow. It's such a weird thing. And I would imagine it would have completely silenced the room. Peter was like one of the inner three. So they're like the 12 apostles, right? Jesus is like click. Jesus is walking around with these guys. They do life with him. But inside of there, there's an even closer group uh, 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 Peter, James, and John, Peter being part of that group, and Jesus looks at the face of Peter and says, You, Peter, will deny me, not once, not twice, but three times tonight. So they may have all, even, I don't know if they got what Judas, well, the Bible says they didn't get what Judas was doing, but even if they had understood that Judas was going to betray Jesus, I guarantee they would have said, Not me. I knew it had to be somebody besides me, but it was because it was. When you're looking around and you're thinking, who's going to do it? Who's going to, they're all looking at each other. Who's going to betray Jesus? It's because they thought it wasn't them. (laughs) Right? And I, and say again? Shaggy. It wasn't me. Right. It's exactly right. Shaggy. Right. It wasn't me. Right? It wasn't me. And so, JC, man, you're pulling stuff out of my head, dude. Uh, you got a brain-damaged pastor, and you throw stuff in here. Okay. So, so, but they would have said it wasn't me. It can't be me. And Jesus looks at one of his, his inner three, Peter. It's, yeah. There's actually more than Judas in here. There's you in here. You're going to deny me three times tonight. I, I, I can't imagine what being in that room would have been like. So now this night there are two traitors in the room. Judas and Peter. Both of them would turn their backs on Jesus. And he predicted it um, here in advance. It happened on the same night. Now, so the similarities between Judas and Peter should be pretty obvious by now. They both turned their backs on Jesus. They both sort of aided and abetted Jesus' murder, really. Judas was a, did it in a premeditated way, right? He sold him out. Told the guys, hey, if you want to know where Jesus is, follow me and come get him. 
Peter did it by sort of knee-jerk fear, maybe, like we talked about at the beginning of the service. Has there been a time where there's social pressure or maybe fear of persecution where you maybe hid the fact or downplayed the fact or maybe even denied the fact that you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus? That's what Peter did at the time of Jesus' trial. Jesus' is most vulnerable time. Here he is on trial. If he's found guilty, he's going to be crucified. And Peter denies him not once, not twice, but three times. Um, so those are the similarities, but there's some real differences. Uh, and they go way beyond uh, whether it was premeditated or not by Peter or Judas. Now, this is going to make us kind of dig deep into our theology a little bit today. But one of these men... Both of them sinned. Are we agreed on that? The weird thing is one of these men would die in his sin and remain an eternal rebel to God, Judas. And another would go on to be one of the greatest men in all of church history. How do we make sense of that? I would say both of these guys denied Jesus, sold Jesus out, walked, turned their back on Jesus. In the same night, one of them, as James pointed out last week, no one names their kid Judas. We do name our kids Peter. But Judas would never see Jesus again after this moment that we know of, that the Bible records. The other guy, Peter, was given a private sort of face-to-face meeting On the day of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appears to Peter in his glorified body. He says, Peter, right? And we'll read about it. We'll get into it. We'll read about it in a few weeks. Jesus confronts Peter about this situation and redeems Peter. What in the world is going on to this thing? Um, Again, Judas' name means betrayer. Peter has, like, churches named after him. Um. So I believe that God wrote a book and that when he inspired John to write this chapter or this, uh, this gospel in this book, it was done on purpose by God. And John recorded this history in a specific way, again, on purpose. I think he puts Judas's and Peter's denial back to back on purpose. I think he's trying to make a really strong point. Right, Because Peter's denial wouldn't take place for several hours later, a couple chapters later. But here John goes ahead and records Jesus predicted it ahead of time. Right, So I think he's making a really big point. And I think at least part of that big point is that at the moment of their betrayal of Jesus, these two guys, if you'd have been sitting in the room, if you're one of the other disciples, they would have looked very similar to you. What does a betrayer look like on the outside? If you're one of the apostles, that's why they looked around the room. Who did it? Judas and Peter both looked. Uh, Judas held the money bag, it says. And so that's, that's somebody you trust, right? You put them in charge of the money, you trust them. So Judas had a high place. Jesus put him in a place of honor. The other disciples, I'm sure, gave of their money to give to the poor and to provide for their own needs. Uh, Peter was one of the inner three, a place of respect, a place of honor. They looked very similar on the outside before their denial of Jesus and betrayal of Jesus. Afterward, they would have looked very similar. Both are sinners. Both have walked away, quote-unquote, 
from Jesus. Um, both of them professed to be followers of Jesus, but both of them denied Jesus by the choices that they made. Here's the truth. The testimony of how we live sometimes cancels out the testimony of what we say. You hear that again? The testimony of how we live sometimes cancels out the testimony of what we say. In verses 34 and 35, again, Jesus urged his followers to have this kind of love for one another, that people would see that love, and that would be the primary evidence of their trust in Jesus. And that this love would be the primary means of persuading the world of the truth about Jesus and the salvation he offers. That's what the apostles' job was, was to spread the gospel. If they spread the gospel and they're the, uh, the gospel is a message of, that God loves sinners and he will save us and forgive us and redeem us and make us new, then when the apostles love one another well, it's a demonstration of God's love, right? You follow me? So Jesus says that's what will make your message have weight. In other words, this is how we should expect followers of Jesus to live. We should expect followers of Jesus to live a certain way. But the remainder of the passage, Jesus predicts people are going to uh, deny him and betray him. He's saying that though, although they are expected to live a certain way, a way that is in keeping with what comes out of their mouth, they, in fact, these two guys, prominent disciples, will live in a very different way. They will look more like haters of Jesus rather than lovers and followers of Jesus. So kind of right here at the very beginning moments of Christianity, we see something's wrong. This dual exposure is coming into play, is it not? Yes, we're disciples of Jesus, and no, I don't always think or act or feel like a disciple of Jesus. We know that to be true now. It's been like that. That's, that's human nature, is it not? It's been like that throughout church history. We're called to live this special kind of life, kind of life that loves and grace and truth. And then we often have to be rebuked by God and even laughed at by the world around us because we do not practice what we preach. On the one hand, church has been a great force in history, is it not? For good. I mean, like churches were the starters of like hospitals and greater education. If you go back to the mission statement of most of the Ivy League universities, they're Christian statements. Christianity has been the greatest force for benevolence and love and care of those who are suffering in the history of the world. Even back in 300s AD, there was a, an emperor named Julian, and he wanted to turn Rome back to following the pagan gods that they had followed, but he had a problem. The Christians were loving people really well. <laughs> the Christians were looking like Jesus, and he said, man, uh, I'm going to be hard-pressed here 
to make inroads back into Rome and turn them back to false gods. He wouldn't have called them false gods, but he would say that they, the Christians were false. But he said, I'm going to have a hard time turning people away from Christianity because of how the Christians are living. He said this, uh, why do we, um, somebody said this about him. Why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase their cause? No Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans support not only their, he calls them impious because they're not following the Roman gods, they're following the Christian God. They support not only their own poor, but ours, the Romans, as well. This is three in the 300s, right? Christians are doing a great job. But even at this time of strength, there was a, a, a historian at the time who wrote that he thought that Julian began to put Christians in places of affluence or uh, influence precisely because he knew that there was a dual exposure. On the one hand, Christians were great and serving and loving, particularly people outside of the church, but he pointed that there was fighting among themselves. And he thought if you put Christians in prominent situations under the spotlight, that people will see the way they live and then reject Jesus that they preached. He said this, On this he took a firm stand, to the end that as this freedom increased, their dissension, he might afterwards have no fear of a united populace or people, knowing as he did, listen, from experience that no wild beasts are such enemies to mankind as are most Christians in their deadly hatred of one another. It's kind of been that way ever since, right? There's no denying that Christians are great, when, like James said, when we go into a community, that community should be better. And it usually is. That we give to the poor. That we fight for righteousness in our culture. But there's also no denying, if you've ever tried to tell your friends and loved ones about Jesus, the number one complaint about Jesus is Jesus' followers. Why do I need to go to church when there are so many hypocrites? I don't have to say the word. You guys know. You guys know. So here it is at the Lord's Supper. Jesus gives this commandment, love one another. Judas, a false disciple, gets up and walks out. I'm not surprised by that. Nobody's surprised to see Judas do that today. But in the same breath, Jesus looks at the face of a true follower, Peter. He says, you're going to deny me too. You're going to do it too. Um, so how do we... How do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of this dual thing in our lives? And, and, and a finer question, what do we do with it? What's the result of it? We've, we've hit on it a little bit. I'll tell you how the world around us makes sense of it, this duality in Christian lives. They call us hypocrites, as we just pointed out, and they use that, our hypocrisy, they kind of throw that on Jesus. And use that as a reason to not only reject us, but to reject Jesus. When we live in hypocritical ways, that says something to, in their mind about the testimony of Jesus, because he's the one we're talking about. 
We deny him with our lives. Talk about him with our lips. Um, so in Asheville-ism, where we live, largely the Christian view of ethics and morality has been replaced in popular opinion in the culture. Um, it's more and more rejected. You know that if you've talked to your friends and neighbors and, and co-workers. Um, now, it's like if we speak out on a, a moral issue or ethical issue, they cannot believe that we would have anything to say, but they're offended. They hear about this pastor uh, in some mega church somewhere who stole a bunch of money from the congregation or was uh, a, a physically abusive to his children or they hear about you know, some of the things that go on with priests and all of those things are awful. What happens in our culture is people associate that with Jesus. Do you hear me? We cannot do the same. We cannot, you guys. God is calling us to live differently. I'm saying this in love. Do you hear me? I'm saying this as one sinner to other sinners. God is calling us to live differently. Um, what our culture would say is, who's Peter to judge Judas? Who are you to claim to be a true follower of Jesus and judge me who you're calling Judas because neither of us follow Jesus' teachings? Who's Peter to judge Judas? Both are deniers of Jesus. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples from our culture. Uh, and this, this may get a little rough for, for some of you, but we can talk later. We're family. Uh, there's a, an actress who's really more famous for being a, a, an opponent of Jesus than being an actress. Her name is Janine Garofalo. Anybody heard of her? Janine Garofalo. Um, she questions, um, she was asked some questions about how um, she views the world and, um, and how she views Christians and, and those sorts of things. And one of her answers was this. They asked her a question, if you could have an X-Men type power and be a superhero, what powers would you have? Uh, they're talking about this movie now, this X-Men movie, where Halle Berry played a superhero named Storm who could make it rain and snow. So they're asking Janine Garofalo, what would be your superpower? And she said, I would be the liberator. I would have the power to change political affiliations. I would have the power to make people liberals and abolish conservatism. Everyone would be in favor of civil rights and women's rights. It would be great. Now, let me, be, let me bring some clarity to this. Christians are in favor of civil rights and women's rights. Uh, it's just real history. Christians founded and led these movements. I understand that. But those words in Janine Garofalo's mind and in our culture's mind have been infused with different definitions. Uh, we know, if you know this actress, you know that when she says civil rights and women's rights, she's not talking about his, uh, historical civil rights where all people are to be treated in, uh, as equal because they're created equal in the image of God, regardless of color of their skin or, or um, you know, what sex they are or anything like that. That's historical civil rights. Um, 
And she's not talking about historical women's rights, which meant women are equally made in the image of God and should be given equal pay for equal work and should have the right to vote and those sorts of things. That's historical women's rights. But what she's talking about are hot-button moral issues like sexual ethics and abortion and, and things like that where Christians do or maybe should take biblical moral stances. So she says if she had a superpower, it would be to abolish the Christian worldview is what she's saying. If she had a superpower... That's what she would do. So here's this woman who has a view of reality that's diametrically opposed to that of biblical Christianity. And listen carefully. She's opposed because she feels that her view is morally superior. Hear me. She believes that she's an atheistic humanist, and she believes that her morality is greater than Jesus' morality Therefore, people should not listen to Jesus and follow her. So she rejects the truth claims of Jesus based on what she sees as the inferior ethics of Jesus. In terms of our text, she would align with Judas rather than Peter. It's not out of a knee-jerk reaction. She's thought it through. And she thinks Jesus' morality is a problem. Um, Let me give you another example real quickly. This guy used to be a U.S. senator and a presidential candidate, but he's a director at Starbucks now. used to be a pro uh, basketball player. And kind of watch how this changes in his life. Um, Back in the day, he said this. Back in the 1960s, he said, the choice is simple. This was when he uh, was a presidential candidate. The The choice is simple between the eternal and the passing, between Jesus Christ and the world. I've made my choice. I love Jesus Christ. How about you, he says. That was him in the 60s. Fast forward to the late 90s. Listen to what he says. In 2000, he said this, Christianity offers one way to achieve inner peace and oneness with the world. Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, Confucianism, and Hinduism offer others. Increasingly, I resist the exclusivity of true believers. Now, he wrote, memoirs. He wrote his own biography and history, and he says, describing his spiritual journey, why he changed his views about Jesus. He says it was based on the lives of Western Christians. He chose to reject Jesus, and Jesus' claims to be the way, the truth, and the life because of the lives, the, the, the double lives that Christians live. So in terms of our text, he would be like our society having our society cannot distinguish between Judas and Peter. They look the same. One's the betrayer, um, but that's really just your personal ethics. Good is up to you. Nobody should be condemned. So our society misjudges this thing between the differences between Judas and Peter. But guess what? Church does too. The church does too. Uh, we would say, Peter, you know, man, Peter, it, was, it wasn't premeditated. It was in the spur of the moment. It just kind of happened, you know? You ever have things just happen? Just happened. I don't know. You know, it's not that we put ourselves in the situation to sin. It just kind of happened. It's not that that was in my heart. It's more like something that happened to me rather than something I did. Right? Um. So we would kind of say, oh, Peter, Peter just kind of slipped up. And we'd look over that, you know, he's good. 
Peter, you're good. It's all right, man. Grace for you. Grace for you. Listen, there is grace for you. But it is wrong to say, oh, it's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. That's also unbiblical. We misjudge that too. Hear me. Sin equals sin. Right? All, all sin is sin. So both Peter and Judas are guilty. Um, again, Jesus has called us to live in righteousness. You know why we should? Because he's worthy of it. He's worthy. Jesus is worthy for us to live righteously. You know, we'll learn later that uh, Judas actually sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. You ever want to bid on something or whatever because somebody undervalued it and they didn't know what they had? Get something on eBay really cheap or at a yard sale, like $5? Yeah, I'll take that. When you don't know the value of something, you'll sell it for anything. You'll sell it for anything. And when you don't appreciate the value of Jesus in your own life, it doesn't really take a whole lot for you to sell him out. In your thought, in your deed, or in your motive. Not just because the world is watching should we live righteously, but because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. We'll be talking about and have been talking about that in our MCs. Listen, if you're not part of a missional community group, you're missing out, man. <laughs> you're missing out. It's good stuff. So how should we then recognize the difference between Judas and Peter? How can we reconcile that both of them denied and betrayed Jesus, yet one of them is in hell today? One of them is in heaven today. Let's just get into the gospel. Here's a gospel-centered view. We're going to learn some of the language of the Reformation here, okay? Get your uh, note-taking pens out. Here's how we respond to the react, this dual exposure. Here's the truth about it. Salvation is by grace alone. Sola, sola gratia, right, is how they would say it in the Reformation. No Christian, however close, close to Jesus, no matter where they sat at that table in the room, none of the apostles merited their own salvation. Do you understand me? They were all followers of Jesus by grace from Jesus. It's not because, oh, Peter would deny Jesus, but Luke wouldn't. They both needed grace. They both needed grace. Um, this uh, Peter here in John chapter 13 is every Christian, as we've talked about before. How many of you have succumbed to your own foolishness? How many of you have knowingly done something that you knew would be an affront to the righteousness of Christ? How many of you have knowingly done something that you knew was not worthy of what Jesus paid to purchase you? If you're saved by something other than grace, I'm telling you, you're not saved. <laughs> you can't be. I can't be. God's standard is perfection. We need, we need grace. So salvation is by grace alone. We, we're all under this insurmountable debt, right? Um, we need Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Next, salvation is through faith alone. <clears throat> Biblically, uh, faith just means trust. It just means trust. When God extends His grace to you, I will make you whole, He says. He says He will wipe your slate clean. 
You will owe no spiritual debt to him because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Right? So we will say, God, I will no longer trust my own righteousness or choose to believe some other religion that says I'll get another chance someday to maybe get it right. Good luck with that. Grace says Jesus got it right. Faith says, I believe Jesus got it right. I will put my trust in him. I don't trust myself. Do you trust yourself to be righteous? Why not trust Jesus to be righteous on your behalf? Right? Salvation is by grace through faith, and salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. It's not uh, in us or having some form of like vague self molded spirituality it's in Jesus the difference between Peter and Judas is because Judas sought to handle his own rebellion against God for himself Judas could not bear the weight of his guilt Judas dealt with it by taking his own life Peter also could not bear the weight of his own guilt. You know what it caused Peter to do? Fall to his knees and trust Jesus. The difference is Jesus. That's the point of this chapter. Look back, remember how it begins. Jesus knew that this hour had come. He knew that he was about to depart. From the world. Verse 10, he says, You are clean, though not every one of you. Judas was still in the room at the time. Verse 18, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. Then, after Judas walks out, Jesus returns to the other disciples and calls them little children. He knew that there was a false disciple among him. And even though Peter would deny Jesus that same night, just like Judas did, Peter was trusting Jesus. Peter was a follower of Jesus. Jesus, about to predict that Peter would deny him three times that very night, and just a few sentences later, Jesus looks at Peter and refers to him as part of the little children, children of God. Jesus refers to this sinner as someone he loves. Jesus refers to this sinner, Peter, you, me, as somebody he loves. As somebody for whom there is abundant grace. There's grace because Peter has put his trust in Jesus alone. So that's the, those are the facts. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. That is the difference between Judas and Peter. Not, that, not a sin degree, sin is sin, but a grace that has been received degree. One has put their trust in Jesus. Um, C.S. Lewis says there are only two types of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, okay, fine, have it your way. Have it, have it your way. 
Peter wanted forgiveness in relationship with the Lord. You know what he got? Forgiveness in relationship with the Lord. Judas wanted 30 pieces of silver. You know what he got? 30 pieces of silver. The Lord gave both of these men what they wanted. He will give you those, your desires between those two things as well. Between Jesus and the things that you would sell him out for. Um, in just a few uh, hours, really, from this passage today, uh, in a few days, Jesus' resurrection from the dead will tell and secure these disciples and Peter and you and I that his promise for forgiveness is real. He's good for his word. And we'll celebrate that in just a few weeks. Let me close with a poem. The author's unknown. Boaz and I try to find it. The, the author's unknown. But it talks about and kind of sums up what we see in Peter and maybe in us today. It says, I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, by the lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my older neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. <laughs> I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they would see you. <laughs> so, so let's not judge one another horizontally. Let's allow ourselves to be judged vertically by the Spirit of God as He brings conviction into our lives. So Christian or non-Christian, have you been a sellout? Have you denied Jesus in thought, deed, or motive? Maybe all of the above. There's sufficient grace for you. There is. God's grace is greater than all your sins. It really is. Now would be the time um, that we respond to God's offer of grace. Question is for us right now, if you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, what will you do with your sin? We all have it. If we're going to be real, we all have it. Question is, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Will you deny it? Kind of pretend that it doesn't exist? Will you maybe get up under the weight of it and try to carry that weight yourself? Or will you get under the weight of it, realize that you can't carry it, look to Jesus, trust him to carry it for you? Listen, every, every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. And Jesus is the difference maker.